Well, we're going to have a look at a passage uh, in Acts where Peter kind of has to face one of his fears and he kind of has to be courageous, a little bit like the way Mr. Anderson was courageous. Now, the book of Acts is one of my favorite books in the Bible. Um, It's full of action, full of adventure. Each chapter, there's something uh, different going on. And uh, the kind of the acts is sometimes called the acts of the apostles or acts of the spirit, depending which one you go for. And really, it's about the acts of the disciples as they go around uh, proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Lord, Jesus is the Messiah the Jews have been waiting for. And it doesn't take long for them to uh, meet some conflict and tension with the authorities, people who don't like what they're doing, they don't like what they're saying. So we're going to pick up the story in Acts 4, verses 1 to 21, and just see if you can put yourself in their shoes, try and feel the tension, try and feel uh, the kind of the buzz, and, and try and live in this story. So Peter and John, by the way, are preaching to a large crowd. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Ananias the high priest was there, and so, for, so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name do you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could really say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then confer together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign. And we cannot deny it, but to stop this from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. So then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eye, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges, and for us we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Now to me, this story has kind of got like a a mob 
scene kind of from a gangster film movie. So you've got Peter and John who are talking to a crowd, and then in bus this, uh, this little mob who just take them away and chuck them in jail. You know, you can kind of, uh, at least when I, when I see it, I kind of see the dons in the background just watching and taking note and talking with their funny Italian, maybe not funny, but their Italian-American accents, which I'm going to try and do in a bit. So brace yourselves. <laughs> you don't have to laugh. I once auditioned for acting school and didn't get in. Anyway, uh, okay, so they've been put in jail, and in the morning they are brought before a large crowd to be questioned, and all the big shots are there. So you've got the chief of the temple police, he was responsible for the maintenance of the law and order. Then you've got the chief priests, including Ananias and Caiaphas, who were both heavily involved in the trial and condemnation of Jesus. And then you have the Sadducees, the teachers of the law. And uh, these guys were the guys who copied uh, and interpreted the Old Testament. So in Jewish terms, in Jewish world, these were the dons, these were the big fishes. Okay, these guys were feared and revered by all the people, and they had a lot of power. Not only that, but like any old good uh, bent mobster, they were kind of, metaphorically speaking, in bed with the Roman officials. The high priest and his entourage would regularly meet up with those guys and have business meetings. And the whole point of this kerfuffle, the whole point of this scene was about intimidation. These guys wanted to stop Peter and John. You know, quite suddenly they take them away, they make threats, they throw them in jail. And then when they bring them uh, to the Sanhedrin or Hedrin, um, it's an intimidating place. They say up to 71 people are part of that uh, gathering. So you've got two guys in front of 71 people, plus the elders and the high priest and the other people that are named. So there's a big crowd. So this is like making a big statement. They kind of, they mean, they mean business and they want answers. And so what's their beef? Well, they kind of have two main issues. The first was the message that they were preaching. They, had, they disagreed with the message that Peter and John were proclaiming. And the second was the authority that they were under. Who were they speaking uh, under? Which authority? Because it definitely wasn't theirs. So the message they were proclaiming was that of the resurrection of the dead. And that this had, become, had begun through Jesus. So Jesus was the Messiah that the Jews had been waiting for. Uh, when he was put to death, God had raised him to life. Uh, not only that, this was the start and the sign of God's eventual restoration of everything. And you see, the mob, the Sadducees, did not like this message one bit. They didn't believe in the resurrection of life at all. So this teaching went against, against what they believe and what they taught. It was an alternative message, and thousands were believing it. Up to this point, it just said at, uh, at the beginning of the passage, 5,000 had now turned and believed and, and repented and joined this gathering. And you see, resurrection is a radical and dangerous message. It's an attack on the status quo and a threat to the existing power structures. Resurrection is the belief which declares that the living God, 
is going to put everything right once and for all. That God is going to restore all things to turn the world the right way up. And you see, those who are in power within the world the way it is, well, they're quite right to suspect that if God suddenly does a drastic change, a drastic thing, they can't guarantee that they, get, they will end up in the power um, in the world that God is going to make. So the resurrection message, whichever way you look at it, was not what the authorities wanted to hear about. The other thing, the whose name, well, in verse seven they say, by what power or what name, aka whose authority are you doing these things in? Whose authority did you heal the man? They just had a man who, who was a cripple and he couldn't walk, and now he was free, he was healed. And the, the Sadducees, the mob, they hadn't given the disciples the authority to go around proclaiming and teaching and trying to heal people. So this again is challenging their position, this is undermining uh, who they are and what they stood up for and their message. So basically they're saying, who said you could do that? Who said you could do this? Now I wonder what was going through their ha- heads as they were looked up in the jail. I wonder if they were afraid. I don't know if anyone here has been in prison, but it's quite a scary thing. And um, I haven't been there myself, but I hear, I hear it's a scary thing. In the films, it looks like a scary thing, especially when the mob chuck you in there. <laughs> uh, and remember, but remember the context that this is only a few weeks after Jesus had been put on trial and put to death. Some of the same guys they were going to face were the guys who had condemned him and sent Jesus on his way. So they must have been thinking, there's a good chance, A, I'm gonna get a beating, and B, maybe I'm gonna lose my life. Jesus lost his life, I might, I might lose mine. So I know if I was there, I would be bricking it, definitely bricking it, and praying on my knees. Another thing to remember is that um, when Jesus was uh, before the Sanhedrin and Peter had followed him, he got asked three times, didn't he, if he was a follower of Jesus? And what did he say? I don't know this guy. I don't know who he is. I've got nothing to do with him. And so now he's the one who's gonna be brought before that same court, that same crowd. So it's a very interesting situation very interesting. And if history is anything to go by, then you would assume that he would cave. But obviously we know he doesn't. It's like he's a new man. In fact, it's a complete contrast to a few weeks ago in this story. You know, when he's shaking in his boots, when he hits his accusers, uh, sorry, when his accusers hit him, he has boldness and hits them back, not only um, answering their question, but hits them with the basic message of the gospel. So in answering in answer to the question, who, who do you do this in, in what name do you do this? He says, well, I'll do it in the name of Jesus, who you guys put to death. But he's actually the Messiah. He's the Messiah I've been waiting for, and he's the one to bring life. He's the one He is the only one which we can be saved. And so it's like a complete turnaround 
uh, from a few weeks ago when he's shaking, quivering in his boots. And I bet, I bet they weren't expecting that. I would love to see the look on their faces. And not only that, not only proclaiming the gospel, but he also hits them with some scriptures. Boom. And it's like that bigger. Boom. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Boom. Okay. So he hits them with the scripture and uh, he hits them. Where is it? Where am I? I've kind of lost myself doing that boom thing. <laughs> I have written here, Peter even dropped some Old Testament scriptures in there to what's a G. And I didn't say what a G. <laughs> but now I have. Okay. So in verse 13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. So it seems like they were shocked by Peter's answer. It's almost like you kind of get the impression they were impressed with it. They didn't really know how to handle it. One, because of his courage. Two, for the fact that he knew the scriptures so well. Um, even though he was an uneducated man. And three, he used to walk with Jesus. That had some weight, it seems. Well, I want to have a look at why Peter could answer in such a different way from a few weeks ago. How come he was able to respond in a courageous way, overcoming the fear, the fear of even losing his life, um, fear of maybe getting a beating, uh, even if it meant death like Jesus? Why was he a different man? Three, three reasons I want to look at. One, he believed and knew who Jesus was and what he has done. Repeat after me. He believed and knew who Jesus was and what he's done. You can do better than that. One, two, three. He believed and knew who Jesus was and what he has done. Or you could say faith. Two, he knew the word. Two, he knew the word. And three, he was filled by the Spirit. Three, he was filled by the Spirit. Amen. Right. One, so he believed, he had faith. Peter had walked with Jesus for three years, listening to him, learning from him, putting into practice what Jesus had taught. Along the way, he learns to put his mouth in it a lot of the time and do some things and make a fool of himself. But he, he sticks by him and he was there when Jesus died, and then he, he's there when Jesus rises again, and he chooses to believe that God had raised him up and that he is the Messiah. He wanted to believe, and he knew that uh, Jesus was the one who could save himself from his own sin and bring him life. He also knew and believed that Jesus was the one who came to set the captives free. He also believed it was because God so loved the world that he sent him to die for us. You see, when, when we know and believe how much God loves us, what Jesus has done for us, we can begin to trust that he has our best interests at heart knowing who God is, having an identity in him, changes the way we see things. Suddenly we see a bigger picture. 
a God's kingdom picture and not our own small one. And we choose to live for his glory. So Peter, knowing and believing who God was, he had a different lens, he had a different view, a different way of seeing life. And he had decided that he was gonna live for Jesus and do everything he possibly could to share that message and, and proclaim the gospel. Okay, two, the Bible. So Peter, when he was defending, defending himself and giving them what for, used the Bible to fight his case and make his point. And he quotes from Psalm 118. And he uses just um, a small verse stating that Jesus is the stone you build is rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Now that's a tiny excerpt from a much bigger psalm. And I just want to open it up um, and have a look at what it, it reads. Because the Sadducees would have known exactly what the context was of this, of, of this psalm. They would have known exactly what was in this psalm. And when we open it and have a look, suddenly it has a lot more weight to this situation. So, if you want to get that up. Psalm 118. Starts off, give thanks to the Lord. He is good, his love endures forever, his love endures forever. Verse five. When hard pressed, I cried to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can human beings do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in human beings. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All the nations surround me, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They surround me on every side, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They swarmed around me like bees, but they were consumed as quickly as burning thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them down. I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteousness. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I will not die, but live, and will proclaim the Lord has done what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. And so it goes on. So, the people listening to Peter, they would have known that context. They would have known that psalm off by heart, most of them there. And it's kind of like Peter is saying, I'm not afraid, with, I'm not afraid of you because I trust in God. God will bring me through these troubles. And in the context of uh, talking about Jesus as the cornerstone, um, it, it, in this psalm, Jesus is, or, or Peter is saying that Jesus is prophesied uh, as the stone who the people will reject, aka the, the Sadducees and the, and the people of the law. So he's kind of claiming that those guys uh, are the guys that this psalm who have rejected Jesus. I hope that makes sense. And Jesus himself hints about him, 
him, himself being the cornerstone in Luke 27 when he's speaking to the high priest himself. So the point being here, guys, is that when we're faced with troubles and trials in life, which we all go through, Jesus himself, by the way, says we're gonna go through trials, knowing what's in the good book and having it planted in our hearts, in our soul, it's gonna help us get through. Because when we go through the hard times, sometimes it's hard to believe or, or understand why we're going through such things. It's hard to remember what's written in there. But knowing um, the word, you know, when we read the word, we, we find out who God's character is. We find out what kind of God we love, what kind of God we serve. 1 John 4:16 says, and so we know and rely on the love of God, on the love of God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. We read it so that we get guidance in our daily life. God's word is like a candle in the dark and help us to know which way to go. We read it to grow in our spiritual life. To grow in our Christian life, we need food and we get that food through the Bible. And we read it so we know what we believe in. The more of, more of this, more of God's word you know and act upon, the stronger we will be. And just like Peter, you can use it. And he, and he used it in that time where he needed it. And what comfort that must have been to him. And finally, number three, he was filled by the Spirit. Now, a few chapters before, we have the day of Pentecost where the followers of Jesus get filled or baptized in the Holy Spirit. God the Father sends the Spirit that Jesus had promised to be with his followers. And this had, him, had empowered the disciples in a new way. And so now, consequently, they were walking in a new authority which had been given to them. In this passage, we see that Peter gets filled by the Holy Spirit. Not because he had lost him, or he couldn't find him, or needed a top-up, but rather, the Spirit wanted to move and use Peter in a specific way, in this specific context. And again, the point being that being a Christian is a supernatural thing. You can't escape it, you can't ignore it. There's more to life than what meets the eye. And as Christians, we must engage, acknowledge, and accept that in this world, we don't battle against flesh, but against evil spirits. When we accept Christ as our savior and ask him into our life, we have the chance of receiving the Holy Spirit who resides in us, guiding us, speaking to us. Mark, how about you, don't, you go and speak to that person and encourage them? How about you go and say this? How about you do this? Don't you think you really shouldn't think those nasty things about that person? Maybe not cut up um, that person when you're driving badly. So we, we need God's help to do the things that we can't. And it's the Holy Spirit that helps, that enables us to change and be the person that God has made us to be. And it's something the Spirit does throughout our life. It's an ongoing process. 
we continue to transform ourselves to be more like him, to be more like Jesus. So, just as we come into land, when we know who Jesus is and what he's done for us, when we know the word and what it says, who God is, his character, when we are filled continually by the Spirit and become more and more like Jesus, we can stand up like Peter with boldness and overcome any fear that comes our way.